Well, happy Memorial Day weekend to you. Pray that you've been enjoying the weather and enjoying our time together uh, with friends and with family along the way. If you're here with us today and it's your first time at Evangel Church or you only come every now and again because you're visiting family, we hope that you feel at home and welcomed with us. We have been in a series of messages entitled New in 42. The purpose of this series is for us to learn together the story of the church that changed the world. The church that changed the world started on this very day, nearly 2,000 years ago. On the day of Pentecost, the early church was founded. Today, Pentecost Sunday, is the church's birthday. And that church that was founded nearly 2,000 years ago was a church that changed the course of history. It literally turned the world upside down. And if we, as a church, we set out on a journey this year, part of our vision and our goal is to become like that church we read about in the early church in the New Testament. To do that, we wanted to learn the story together. And so we've given you some uh, reading plans, and we even have it in print for you, and you've taken part in that reading plan. Um, Thank you for your perseverance and for going through and reading God's word together. Thank you for those that opened your homes and were a part of what we saw as one of our greatest group seasons ever as a church. Can we give it up for our new and 42 group leaders and facilitators? I want to just speak a word to those of you that thought uh, that that, you know, it was okay for you not to be a part of a group. Uh, You thought, you know, you were busy or whatever the case was. I just want to give you a little glimpse of what you missed out on because many of the groups, as they were wrapping up their group season this week, uh, they had celebrations. I heard about an ice cream social. I know our group, we had some uh, some donuts and some hamburgers. Uh, one of the groups had a great barbecue, and you can give a shout-out if you're in this group. Uh, this group, they had some, uh, some cake. Uh, but the one that takes it all is this one. Someone created a cake out of the book. I mean, it wasn't the book, was it? It was a literal cake, I believe, and they were able to eat it and just enjoy community together. I want to just commend all of you that were able to be a part of the group season. We know that that's a key part of living a changed life because that's what we desire to see here at Evangelist, changed lives, changing lives. And part of the church that changed the world is they were connected in community. And so don't uh, forget about that and just continue to strive towards being connected with one another in the body and get signed up next time we have our group season coming up later this summer. If you have your Bibles, you can open with me to Revelation chapter 21. We're going to be in the book of Revelation chapter 21. If you want a clue, it's towards the end of the, uh, the Bible. So it's the second half. Go all the way about to the end and you'll see uh, there. And each week, as we're going through New and 42, we were unpackaging an attribute, one of the characteristics of the church that changed the world. And there are these uh, attributes to this church that made them who they were and can make us who Christ has called us to be in this day. And so as we've unpackaged each one, we talk about on the very first Sunday that the church that changed the world was a church that was empowered by the Holy Spirit. We're reminded of that again today on Pentecost Sunday, that we rely upon the empowerment of the Holy Spirit to carry out God's plans and purposes for us. It was a church that was connected with one another in godly community. It was a church that was able to be corrected by God's word. It was a church that stood as the evangel church, meaning that they lived to proclaim the power of the gospel to change lives. It was a church that was able to worship the Lord in spirit and in truth. And last week, we had the amazing opportunity to not just have a message or to hear about the attribute of the church that changed the world. We got to witness that attribute firsthand. The attribute that we were going to talk about last week was the church that changed the world was a church that persevered in the midst of trials. And we saw a life 
that was a living example of that through Halda Bontain as she shared with us. Were you blessed by her ministry and by her testimony, by 60 years serving the least, the last, and the lost, making an impact for the kingdom that will so far outlast her and her husband that went to be with the Lord Mark? Uh, We saw that lived out example right in front of us. And finally, this week, we're talking about the final attribute we see. And it's one that's referenced here in the book of Revelation. As we see this letter that's written to us, and it's really a gift to us today, and we'll understand based upon us unpackaging uh, the, the real purpose of today's message. But let's read together in Revelation chapter 21, verses 1 through 6. It says this, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth passed away, and there was no longer any sea. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down from heaven from God, made ready as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is among men, and he will dwell among them, and they shall be his people, and God himself will be among them. And he will wipe every tear from their eyes. And there will no longer be any death. There will no longer be any mourning or crying or pain. The first things have passed away. And he who sits on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. And he said, Write, for these words are faithful and true. Then he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. I will give to the one who thirsts from the spring of water of life without cost. This is a picture of a moment in time that we look forward to. So much of what we have read thus far in the story of the church that changed the world, what we see as the latter part of the New Testament after the Gospels were written, What we see here is stories that are connected to specific times and places, whether it's in Galatia, where they are having issue deciding whether they need to become Jewish before they could follow Jesus, whether you see it in Corinth, where there's all kinds of dysfunction that is being addressed, whether it's James writing to a bunch of believers that are persecuted to encourage them along in their way, or First and Second Peter doing that same thing just to encourage believers and point them to God. We see at the end, we receive revelation as the Apostle John was exiled on Patmos on this island The Lord Jesus Christ visited him and unveiled, took away from his eyes and allowed him to be able to see and have a revelation from God, not of just moments in time in history then, but a forward-looking time where we would understand the fulfillment of God's promises for us and how they would impact us today. What we see in Revelation as we reach this point in time is a picture of God's ultimate and final victory. I don't know about you, but I love knowing the end of a story that ends in my favor. And I would love to know if the story isn't going to end in my favor. How many of you are living some situations out in your life right now, and you guys could say, I wish I knew the end of the story? I know that I don't like that in movies. Many people, they like to give you spoilers and tell you how the movie's going to end. I don't like that. I like to experience that. But when it's my life, you better believe I want to know how this thing's going to end even before I get started sometimes. Well, we have good news today. We got the end of the story, and we win. (laughs) God wins. He's victorious. Uh, The sickness, the pain, the trials in this world, the weeping that we take part in, the tears that we shed, the brokenness that we experience every single day. Here's what God's word says. There will no longer be any of that. 
He will wipe away every tear. And whenever the one sits on the throne says, it is finished, it's done. He says, I'm the beginning and the end. He said, write this down. It's faithful. It's true. I'm making all things new. Nearly 2,000 years ago on Pentecost Sunday, heaven touched earth in a very transformative way. That as Jesus promised among his disciples, 10 days earlier, as he ascended into heaven, that the people who waited upon him would receive power. This small group of people who in that time seemed like they were ludicrous, they were ridiculous, they were insane. Why? Because the man that everyone saw killed, they say they saw him raised from the dead. And they began to follow him and put their faith in his name. And as Jesus then ascended into heaven, they waited in an upper room. They prayed. They worshiped together. And on the day of Pentecost, the promise of Christ became a reality. They heard a loud sound, a rushing wind. And then tongues of fire descended upon them. They were all filled with the Holy Spirit. They began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit of God gave them the power to do so. And that was the beginning of the church that changed the world. That very day, 3,000 people heard the message of Jesus and put their faith in him. The world around them was shaken, and before long, the whole world around them would be changed. Without them, without that moment in time, where would we be today? But we celebrate Another year gone by, and we are reminded of God's power to change lives, that he is a God who keeps his promises. He's a God who is so faithful. We get a picture here of a promise from God, a promise of the future and what it will look like about God's ultimate and final victory. While that is great news and while that's very exciting, it also should be very sobering to us as we consider it. Because all of Revelation and scriptures preceding it give a series of warnings. And these warnings are designed to help the church and those who are putting their faith in Jesus make it to this point in time. Because they say, if you're not careful, you will fall away. You will go to the left or to the right. And some will not ultimately experience the promise we read about. The promise of a new heaven and a new earth. Because there are really two options for how someone will spend eternity. It's either in God's presence for eternity, in relationship with him and Jesus Christ, or apart from him for eternity. And they say there are many that in these last days will fall away. There are many who will be deceived by false teachings. There will be many who will have itching ears and they'll, they'll want to hear a, a false, fake story of who God is and, and they'll just be led astray. It says that by every wind of teaching, they'll be tossed back and forth. There's a promise that in the last days, there will be more and more difficulties. There will be persecution and trials. We are seeing things like that right in the news around us. And during that time, many will feel the weight of those trials and difficulties. And what they'll do is they'll just simply turn away. They'll thin out. They'll stop attending church. They'll stop being allegiant to the Lord himself. And they'll, they'll just turn to the ways of the world. But it says, to those who stand firm until the end, to those who persevere and persevere and endure, to those who continue round after round, to the one who is still standing at the end, he who overcomes will receive these promises. We see that as Jesus is addressing letters to seven churches in Revelation from chapter 2 to chapter 3, he starts with this same 
caveat that he gives to each one of them about how they can inherit his promise to him who overcomes, to the one who conquers, to the one who overcomes will receive all of these promises because some among you will not. And then as we get here in chapter 21 of Revelation, we just read through the first six verses. Look what verse 7 says. He who overcomes will inherit these things and I will be his God and he will be my son. To overcome means to ultimately be um, victorious or to conquer. Those words that are used in different versions that you've read uh, in scripture. To be the one who overcomes means that you are the one who walks and lives and experiences victory. It means at the end, you're still standing. And as you persevere and have endurance and continue on in the journey, just as we see God's word share and admonish us towards, you get to that place of victory, the victory that God promises But how can we experience that victory? Because the scriptures warn us that there are times that are coming where not everyone will experience it. People will give up and they will fall away. People will become too discouraged and hopeless and they will just give way. How can we preserve against that? Because the church that changed the world was a church that walked in the victory of God. And I want us today, if we are desiring to be that church, that we will learn what it means to walk in the victory of God, to live in that victory until we see him face to face. To understand what that looks like, we need to look back at another portion of scripture. It was written to a group of believers that were undergoing incredible trials and tribulations. They were um, being uh, killed for their faith. They were being persecuted. They were being mistreated all around. And as they were undergoing all of that severe treatment, The Apostle Peter writes a series of letters to encourage them in their faith, to encourage them from giving up. He was afraid and seeing many just giving up and turning away uh, from the Lord to the ways of this world. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3, here's what he says to them. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his great mercy has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of of Jesus Christ from the dead. In verse 4, to obtain an inheritance which is imperishable and undefiled and will not fade away, reserved in heaven for you, who are protected by God's power through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. So what he's saying to them is this, I praise God with you for the God and Father of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Through God's great mercy... He has given us new birth. We have been reborn. We have been born again into what? Into a living hope. The only way that we can live in the victory of God is if we have today a living hope. Do you have a living hope today? Do you have a hope that is greater than the very life that we have? Do you have a hope that's greater than the things that you own? What are you hoping in this morning? Because God's promise is this, that those who take hold of a living hope will receive an inheritance, an inheritance that can never spoil, can never perish, can never fade, and it's kept in heaven for you, waiting to be revealed in the last times. What are those last times? The time that we're reading about in Revelation chapter 21. There's an inheritance for those who believe, for those who persevere, and ultimately those who overcome those who walk in the victory of God. But it cannot happen without us taking hold of the living hope that God's word speaks about. What does it mean to have a living hope? It means that what you hope in, and a hope is ultimately an expectation about the future. 
an expectation about what is coming in the future. And you need to understand that today, your present is ultimately being shaped by what your future hope is. Your present is being shaped by what you are hoping in most. Today, maybe you don't have much to hope in. Well, your present might not be going that well for you. But your future is always, is always something that is shaping your present and what you hope in is an expectation that you have about the future. Let's try it this way. We did it in first service. I just need the two first people to put your hands up. Let me see. Jordan and one other person. Tony, okay. Tony and Jordan, you're both going to be doing the same exact work. You have a job. It's going to be 80 plus hours a week. It's going to be terrible, terrible work, manual labor. It's going to tire you out. It's going to be frustrating. The people you work with, they're terrible. Not each other, but everyone else you work with. They're terrible, terrible, terrible. You're going to have to go in. You're going to work 80 plus hours a week. You're just going to tire yourself out. Tony, I'm going to sit down with you and tell you that at the end of this year, you're going to get $10,000 for your work. Okay? Jordan, I'm going to sit with you. You're going to get $10 million at the end of this year for your work. How do you think each of them are acting on Monday when they start their job? Right? Tony's coming, he's like, why am I even doing this? What, what in the world am I thinking? Jordan's thinking, this is amazing. <laughs> I'll put up with anything. <laughs> Whatever you want. How do you think they're doing two weeks in? They're like, yeah. You know why? Because they're hoping in something in the future and based upon the value of what they're hoping in. They're saying it's too small. What I'm hoping in is too small. It's not going to work. He's saying, I'll go through whatever because what I'm hoping in today and what I'm hoping in in the future is so much greater than what I'm facing right now. That's what it means to have a living hope. It means that you have a hope that's bigger than the hardships that you're enduring. It means that you're able to hope in something that's bigger and greater and grander than whatever it is that you're going through in this life. And for many, they're overcome by this world because they don't have a living hope that can help them overcome this world. So therefore, you're overcome by every diagnosis. You're overcome by every trial. Why? Because your hope is so small. You're only hoping in that. If you're hoping in your health today, what happens when your health fails? If you're hoping in your finances today, what happens when the market crashes? If you're hoping in your career, what happens whenever you go through a shaky time or lose your job? Your hope is gone because your hope was too small. It wasn't a living hope. Any other hope in this world, any hope in any temporal thing, do you know what it is? It's not a living hope. It's a dying hope. It's a fading hope. If you live this life only hoping in this life, then when you reach the end of this life, you have no hope left. But when you live for something and hope in something that's greater than this life, then you can hope from life to eternal life. Death isn't a loss. Death is a net gain when you have a living hope. Amen? Hope is something that enables us to face the present all the trials, all the terrible part of it, and endure anything that comes our way if the hope we have is greater than what we're experiencing. But again, our hope has to be greater than our hardships. We have to have a hope that is ultimately greater. If it's a real hope, if it's a living hope, it changes everything. Here's what hope really changes. Hope has the ability to shine brightest when our hour is the darkest. Hope can motivate us when discouragement comes. Hope energizes when the body is tired. Hope sweetens when bitterness bites. Hope sings when all melodies are gone. Hope believes when evidence is eliminated. Hope listens for answers when no one is talking. Hope climbs over obstacles when no one is helping. Hope endures hardship when no one is caring. 
Hope smiles confidently when no one is laughing. Hope presses towards victory when no one is encouraging. Hope dares to give when no one is sharing. And hope ultimately brings victory when no one is winning. There's only one way when you have a living hope. It's a hope that can overcome the trials, the difficulties, the pains. It's a hope that literally overcomes this world. First John chapter 5, as the Apostle John is writing to believers, he's encouraging them in this very way, that there's only one hope in this world. There's only one way to that living hope. It's through Jesus Christ. And here's what he says in 1 John chapter 5, verse 4. He says, for whatever is born of God overcomes the world. This is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. He, who is he who overcomes the world? But he who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. This is the victory that overcomes the world, our faith. Our faith and our trust in Jesus Christ is the only thing that gives us the ability to overcome this world. What is our faith? It's said to us in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1. Faith is the assurance of things hoped for and the conviction of things not seen. To have faith means that you have an assurance of what you're hoping in. And today, if you're putting your faith, your hope, your assurance in Jesus Christ, he is the rock that will never fail you. He is the one who will always hold you, will never forsake you, who is closer than a brother, who has given you his promises, his word, and his spirit that you would not be left alone. And today, if you hope in him, you'll never be put to shame, God's word says but what are you hoping in? Because if you're hoping in something else, then you'll begin to feel hopeless as that's turning. But those who take hold of God's promise, those who take hold of God's word, experience the blessings of his promise. What it really means to live by faith in Christ means that we're taking hold of that living hope. I heard a story uh, many years back, and it's it's a reminder to us today as we're thinking about those who have lost their lives serving our country this weekend. I also think about those who have lost their lives for the sake of Jesus and making him known. They have become known as martyrs. And we have a history going back all the way to the time right after Jesus of people who became martyrs, meaning that they had put their faith in Jesus and whenever they were pressured even to lose their life, they would not give up on their faith in him. This idea of becoming a martyr is revolutionary in that time for Jesus because before the cross and even during him dying on the cross, no one was willing to even associate with him. His disciples, whenever people were coming against them or even when Jesus was being tried, they were hiding. The man Peter, who was ready to, to go and battle uh, the gates of hell with a water pistol, he said, with Jesus was nowhere to be found as Jesus is being tried. In fact, when a young girl comes and starts questioning him, he flips out on her and says, I don't know him three times. Does exactly what Jesus says. But he talked such a good game. He said, I'm going to go and we'll, we'll, we'll take them all on. And he, and he said that he would be there, but he wasn't. When push came to shove, he fell away. He turned away. His faith was shallow. His hope was too small in that moment. But after Jesus rose from the dead, after the day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit filled the believers. And one of the great evidences of the Spirit filling your life is a boldness and a courage and a confidence in him. 
And as they were boldly proclaiming Jesus, do you know what you start to see happening one after the other? People start losing their lives for him. They will not turn away from their faith in him and they're willing to risk their own lives to share him with others. Talk about a changed life. Someone who goes from running away and not wanting to be associated to standing up in front of thousands of people and boldly proclaiming Jesus. A man filled with the Holy Spirit being stoned to death because he has put his faith in Jesus Christ and being willing to lose his life. As the years went on, many of those that have penned what we know as these letters that make up the story of the church that changed the world, the New Testament, do you know how they ended their days? By dying for their faith in Jesus being crucified, being burnt, being put on stakes, being crucified themselves upside down. That's how they ended their lives. But that's also how they ultimately lived and experienced God's victory for them. They were faithful to the very end. They were martyrs for the Lord. There's a story that goes 300 years after that, 320 AD, and it's a story of 40 men And it's called the 40 Martyrs of Sebast. And these 40 men, there were soldiers that served in the uh, 20th Legion of Rome's army, and they served the emperor. It was the imperial army. And one day, the captain came and informed uh, all the men that were serving in all of the different areas of the legions that they would now need to take part in special worship to these pagan gods and to the emperor. And these 40 men, everyone else decided that they would do exactly what their commanding officers were telling them to, but them, they refused because they were followers of Jesus. And here's what they said. You can have our armor and you can even have our bodies, but our heart's allegiance belongs to Jesus Christ. And as they said that so confidently, the word got back to the emperor and he wasn't going to be resisted and he was going to make a public spectacle out of them. And so he gathered up those men These soldiers, he put them in the middle of a frozen lake, stripped them of their clothes, and he said this, renounce your God and you'll be spared from death. Come forward, renounce your God, take your faith away from Jesus, and you will be spared from death. No one moved forward. And so he left them there, huddled together, and he said, go, you can continue to reflect on my offer. If anyone will come, the invitation is open. But you're not going to leave there. And they stood there on this freezing lake and as the night went by and they had captains and guards that were there watching them so no one would leave. They sung songs of victory. They sang about the Lord. They prayed together. They praised God. And one by one, they froze to death. When the morning came, 39 of them had died and there was just one left and he finally, he relented and he left and he went and he said, I'm denouncing the Lord. And as he went back to the shore, one of the guards that the emperor had placed there was so moved by what he had seen is as that man left, he took off his armor and he went out himself into the middle and said, I now put my faith in Jesus. And that day there were 40 people who laid down their lives. And one of them was one of the very guards that was carrying out the emperor's command. That's what it means to live for Jesus is that you don't even count your life worth more than what you trust in him for. That means that you have a hope that's greater than your hardship greater than even the life that you're living. It's the only way that you could really live in this life by faith because we experience brokenness in the world. We experience trials of every kind. We experience things that if you don't have a hope that's greater than this world, you have no hope. But we have Jesus who is greater. 
And the only reason that we can put our hope in him is because his promise and his word is true. And it says, as he says to his disciples in John 16, he said this, I tell you this so that you will have peace. In this world, you will have tribulation, troubles, difficulties, but take courage. I have overcome the world. There's victory in Jesus because he overcame the world. And what is the victory that overcomes the world? Our faith in what Jesus has done to overcome this world. His death and his resurrection, that is what finished it for us and gives us hope of eternity with him. Have you taken hold of that living hope today? Have you lived your life as a response to what Jesus has done for you? Peter's, uh, not Peter, he encourages his believers to remain faithful to the journey. The author of Hebrews in chapter 6 writes to a group of other believers who are turning away from their faith and he worries they won't make it on the race. And he says in chapter 6 that they need to take hope in the refuge that they have, that they should take hold of the hope that has been set before them. Imagine with me that you are out on the ocean and you have become shipwrecked and there you are floating and you have nothing to grab a hold of. You're being washed back and forth and there's a lifeline that is thrown out to you. You know what that is? It's a hope for you to grab hold of. And if you pull on it, you're hoping that it will hold you and pull you safely to rescue, to salvation, to freedom, to life. It says this, that's the image that the author of Hebrew gives. Take hold of the hope that's been set before you. You have a living hope. You don't have to die. This life will pass away. Where will you spend eternity? Take hold of the hope that has been set before you. And then he goes on to say in the next verse, 19, this hope is an anchor of the soul. It's a hope both sure and steadfast, one that enters within the veil where Jesus has entered as a forerunner for us, having become a high priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek. There's such powerful imagery coming from God's word here. And I want to just explain it to you for a moment. He says this, take hold of the hope because as you take hold of that, it's the only thing that will hold you. It is an anchor for the soul. Think about that idea of an anchor being dropped as a ship is at sea so that it will not be tossed back and forth but will be held firmly in place. That anchor is there as a, preserve, a preserver. It's something that will keep them. It's something that will not let them be swept away by any storm or wind that comes. It says we have our hope in Jesus as an anchor for our soul. And if you could just follow with me from that boat down along the chains and the links go down and you look and see, where is that anchor holding? Is it holding in sand that will be pulled away? Is it wrapped in seaweed so it will be dislodged? No, it's found into the bedrock at the bottom of that ocean. It's holding there so firmly. But this anchor goes deeper, it says. It says it enters in. So imagine that. It goes deeper than that. It goes deeper than Calvary and even the work on the cross. It goes to the temple and into the temple and through the outer courts and into the inner courts, into the holy of holies where no one was permitted to go, where the very presence of God is. Do you know where that anchor holds today? It holds at the very throne of God in heaven. It's as it goes into the innermost depths and it holds there where Jesus has become our high priest forever. It's at the throne of God where the one who we read about in Revelation sits at the throne, Jesus, and says, I have made all things new. It is done. That's where your hope is anchored. That's where your hope is secure. It goes in deep and it holds you no matter what this life will bring. 
Are you anchored? Are you held to that living hope in Jesus Christ? I invite Pastor Brian and the worship team to come. As I consider what it means to be anchored in Christ, what it means to have that living hope in him, it means that whatever this life would bring our way, it's not worth more than our faith in Jesus. We're reminded of it in the news all around us. Church, we've been supporting groups of refugees and those that are going to take part in this church that we've been building over in Iraq, those that are going to be able to worship the Lord. And so our hearts go out as we hear about the continued persecution. The reports continue to come in, just like this picture of men and women who love the Lord Jesus Christ and are being marched onto beaches and into streets, and they're being killed for their faith. Why? Because they won't turn away from Jesus. It looks like the world is losing, but there's real victory because they've put their faith in the one who overcomes this world. So even their very death is a net gain in God's kingdom because they cannot take away what God has done in them. Whenever you live for Jesus and whenever you spend your last days dying for Jesus, you are living and will walk in the victory of God as one who endured to the very end. There's a famous missionary named Jim Elliott. He was a man who went and served and ultimately gave his life to see people in Ecuador come to know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. And as he ended his life so suddenly, as he lost his life, People look back on his sacrifice and many, so many have come to know the Lord through his work. But they found one of his journal entries. He said this quote, he is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. And today, I don't know what you're hoping in, but I hope that you're not holding more tightly to it than you are to Jesus. I hope that you'd be willing at any point in time to say, I will let go of this so that I could take hold of you. Because that will never really hold you when the days grow darker. That will never become a real foundation or an anchor for your life. Do you have a living hope today or do you have a fading hope? Have you placed it all in Jesus Christ and taken hold of what he has for you? Or are you being batted back and forth by the storms of this life? To he who overcomes, he will inherit these things. Let us be those that overcome. Let us be those that walk in the victory of God. Revelation chapter 12 talks about the great battle that, that wages in, these, in the last days ahead of us. And how the evil one will seem victorious because he will have gotten some and taken hold of some and look to lead people away from the Lord. But ultimately, there will be those that conquer, those that are victorious, those that triumph over him. And do you know how that happens? Revelation 12, 11, they overcame him because of the blood of the Lamb, Jesus Christ, and because of the word of their testimony. And they did not love their life even when they were faced with death. Let us live that kind of faith journey, church. Let us embrace our faith in Jesus by taking hold of the living hope he has in us, in us, in him. Would you stand with me this morning? Lord Jesus, I pray that you would speak to every heart. I pray that you would stir us, Lord God, to take hold of what you're offering to us this morning. Lord, as we're reminded this weekend that freedom isn't free, it came with a price, and we consider those who paid the highest Christ to sacrifice their lives to give us freedom, Lord God. We thank you for those, Lord. We thank you for those who loved you more than their very own lives. 
for those that have even died for the sake of Christ, Lord God. We pray that you'd bless them, that you'd be near to their families, that you'd comfort them. And Lord, we pray that that would be a reminder to us, Lord, to live by faith, to take hold of the hope that has been offered to us in Jesus Christ and for us to live unashamed of who you are. Lord, help us to be the church that changed the world. Help us to live with a faith, Lord God, that overcomes this world. Today, with your heads bowed and your eyes closed, there might be some among us that you've never taken hold of the hope that I've talked about just now. You've never called upon Jesus Christ as your Lord and as your Savior. You've never asked him to forgive you of your sins. Today, I want to give you an opportunity to experience the greatest decision that you could ever make. Today, with your head bowed and your eye closed, if you say, I want to receive Jesus as my Lord and Savior, I'd like to say a prayer to invite him to be Lord of my life. I want to be all in for him. If that's you and you'd like to say that prayer, I want you just to lift your hand above your head right now, if that's you. Anyone here? I see you in the back. Anyone else? Put your hand up right there. Amen. I see your hand. Anyone else? Lift your hand right where you're at. God's presence. If you're watching online, I want you to do the same thing. God sees you. Amen. Hands went up around this room. Amen. Pray this with me from the bottom of your heart. Lord Jesus, I ask you to come into my life. Forgive me of my sins that have separated me from you. I believe that you came and that you died and that you rose again for me. Thank you for your forgiveness. Thank you for this new life. I take hold of a living hope in you and I will follow you all the days of my life. In Jesus' name, amen. Lord Jesus, would you come now and by the power of your resurrection, would you give them new life, Lord God? Would you help them to feel the peace of your Holy Spirit? Would you change them from the inside out, Lord God? Would you lead them into a life-changing relationship with you that will change the course of their future, we pray, Lord God, that they would live and walk in your victory all the days of their life. Thank you, Lord God. Thank you for saving someone today. In Jesus' name, amen. Can we celebrate that? Amen. I'm going to invite some altar workers to come forward. In church, this is how I'd like for us to sp just spend these last moments together. Some of you today, you've been giving up hope. And you need to just take hold of that living hope that Jesus is offering you right now. I don't want to... I don't want you to leave encouraged. I want you to leave anchored today to Jesus. I want you, if you need to come here to this altar and just do business with the Lord and just pray and just allow your heart to be open before him, come forward. Don't wait. If you need someone to pray with you, come forward to someone here that's at this altar. If you'd like to just worship the Lord, we're going to sing a few songs that will just be anthems to really exclaim what we have just talked about and continue to reinforce what we have been sharing about during this series and especially during today's message. This is an opportunity for you to respond to the Lord. Maybe you need to be refreshed in God's presence. May the Holy Spirit touch you this Pentecost Sunday and fill you with power. But as you feel relieved to come, just come forward and I'm going to pray for you. And then if you need to go, you feel free to step out quietly. Lord Jesus, we give you this time. We give you these moments, Lord God. 
Lord, we strive to not just know the story of the church that changed the world. We want to live that story out today. Lord, we pray, Lord, that anyone here that's wavering in their faith, Lord, that they would take hold of the hope that you're offering them today. It will be an anchor for their soul. I pray today, Holy Spirit, that you'd fall into someone's life, that you'd come upon them and fill them with boldness and confidence in you, Lord God. I pray today, Lord, that you would restore marriages, you'd restore health at these altars. I pray that you'd refresh people in their walk in relationship with you, Lord. We give you these last moments. We lift our song, our hearts, Lord God, and our worship to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Let's worship the Lord together.